listening to The Charged Hogwarts. Photographers, music loving people, podcasts, etc. So, hey, listen, uh, we just went ahead and did the ranking of the Joni Mitchell and the albums. And of course, that is me, Evan Soddy, that is co creator Taryn O'Reilly, and special guest to the stars, Allie Kern. Yes, me. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Hey, you know, we did this thing where we ranked all of Joni Mitchell's albums. This is a happy hour mini story where we talk about whatever we want in relation to Joni Mitchell. Well, to calm down there, Rolling Stone. But also, yes. Also. Before we start, we need to do the thing we do at the start of every Happy Minute episode, which okay. is, what's the worst Joni Mitchell song of this era? Of oh, this era? Uh-huh. Oh, man. I mean, did, you, did you have a, one picked from later? No. I have mm-hmm. one picked I from later. Think... Well, uh, I mean, yes. Yes. Uh, I will, I will right. say uh, uh, Blue Motel Room, honestly, off of Hygiera. Boom, boom, pack a dirt. Boom, boom, pack a dirt. <laughs> it's an easy choice. Boom, boom. Um, I have one that I don't think we even talked about mm. in the main cast. It is Nathan Lafreniere <laughs> off yes. of Song to a Seagull. That's why that was because for me. because it has this sound. I think I guess it's it sounds like a war horn or like some sort of alarm that someone blows into to alert the town okay. that barbarians <clears throat> are coming. It's so awful <laughs> to hear, <laughs> at, regardless of the volume, and I don't understand why it would be included. And I, I just it's very just to upsetting. piggyback <laughs> off of you saying that you didn't understand. I'm going to say my least favorite Joni Mitchell song, the one I think is the worst, is I think I understand. Oh, oh wow! Oh. Yeah, because huh? I, I don't understand. I don't, don't understand. See, Taryn, I thought. I thought for you, Taryn, it would be God Must Be a Boogeyman. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. That's a good choice, too. God Must Be a Boogeyman. That is one thing I will say. I was... Especially with... We need the children's chorus. Come on. I mean, also, I remember you also having a... And listen, let's get into this before we have fun. Well, I was just going to say quickly. I was surprised at how many songs I was like, this is bad. Uh-huh. I didn't expect that from her, but be, but also, she is an She's experimenter. Allowed to fail. Yeah, she's allowed to fail. She had so many more incredible songs mm-hmm. that we can forgive a, a few a few stinkers. Right. Well, and remember you when you got into the lyrics of Otis and Marlena, uh, changed uh, how you felt about well, that. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I just it's it was a different time well also well, let, let's, just about, let's, let's talk just talk about let's talk about it let's just talk about don, don juan's reckless daughter mm-hmm. the album cover do you remember the album cover let's pull up let's pull up did the, you look uh, at it this week though yeah i did uh i looked at it like on spotify though so okay let's let's just i just uh, while yeah, Alex here the, we're pulling the thing it up is, there's the there's the album cover with you know the, the speech bubbles the speech bubbles besides Joni Mitchell in blackface as a black man, uh, in oh, her in her black character. Fam, fam, fam. You didn't know. No, didn't I know. didn't know. I so didn't know either. That's, that's, oh my god! So that was. <laughs> oh, I need more whiskey. So, so that was, you know, Evan at the top of every main cast episode makes a if you're nasty joke. 
And this week's was unfortunately the name of her blackface character that she oh, developed no. with her jazz friends What's for his... Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. His name is Art Nouveau. I know. No. Um, and on the album cover, he can be what? quoted saying things. Well, have we found the sleeve? Oh, the yet? sleeve? Because oh, the sleeve is the worst part. Well, first of all, there's also... There's a worst part? There's also... Wait, so that right there... You mean to tell me Joni Mitchell's in blackface and there's a worst on part? On the back part, that's a small... That's Joni Min- Mitchell as an Indian girl. No. And over then, here it says how. And it says oh, how. Oh, yeah, then, but my question exactly. How could you do this, Joni? Right. On I don't the, understand. On oh. the sleeve of the actual record... There's another photo of Art Nouveau. Oh, it's not bad. And I believe it says, we're having a hard time finding it at the moment, but it says, um, I believe, Muslims, Muslims, heh, 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 but spelled with O's. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It's, uh... Oh, I see it. Yeah. So, and it's one of those things where, and there was, like, also photos of her going in blackface at parties, too. Oh, And the thing is that it it kind of speaks to a little bit, and I think that we're going to use this as a way to kind of tangentially jump off here. I think part of the reason why she felt okay with it, and it's kind of glossed over with her legacy because it's Joni Mitchell. She's made a lot of great albums. Well, because uh, a lot of people don't know this shit, but now I know this shit, and I'm having to wrap my brain around it. It's hard to unknow. And I feel like the genuinely after Court and Spark was a success, after Help Me made the top ten, she still found herself opening for a lot of other male rock artists like Bob Dylan, contemporaries of hers at the time too, uh, which she wasn't really a big fan of as well, and that's part of the reason why she also started moving towards jazz a bit. Jazz musicians loved her, and I, this is just speculation on my part, but I have a feeling that just being around black jazz musicians as well, and her like just being friendly with them, there was a sense that maybe like she describes this idea of this character and maybe gets a pass. It's still advised you got to keep in mind we're looking at this with 2021 eyes and it's deeply uh not cool it's deeply not good but at the same time i kind of want to pivot off that to talk about the retreat that she had from rock criticism as well because uh before we get into her paramours which ali really wants to talk about as well i just want to talk about all the incredible men that Joni mitchell had has gotten to fuck but she also has kind of got the (laughs) thing is that when she that's such a way of putting it when she started dating Graham Nash that was kind of a little bit of a power couple romance that kind of put her up there in the headlines to the point where when she started breaking through Rolling Stone did an article calling her rock and roll's old lady Uh, which is not great uh, and also did a list, did a diagram list of all the famous people that she had sex with as well. Oh, shit. Okay. Which is one of those things which... Rolling was just as yeah. interested in her business as I am. Right. Though. But the thing is that being interested in it and then being a rock magazine kind of reporting on these little tabloid it's one, dilemmas. Yeah. Right. It's one thing if, like, People Magazine did that. It's another thing entirely to have Rolling Stone. Yeah. And also, know. did they do that shit for the male musicians who <laughs> no doubt also slept with all these people? I don't no, think they I'd did. No, I'd like to see the cover story on the fact that an entire band managed to date the same woman. Like, like, <laughs> like how many people in Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young did she date? At least, I mean, David Crosby and Graham Nash. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what... I don't know what... And uh, James Taylor. Yeah. So I'm saying, I want, like, how can you be in a band with each other and you, like, date and fall in love with? Like, they didn't just, like... Well, normally you call that Fleetwood Mac, so that's usually what happens. I mean, you know, it was the the free love era. For sure. But I'm saying that the double standard is rampant. Oh, yeah. And then, let's not forget, Rolling Stone then went ahead and turned around and called The Hissing of Summer Lawns, quote, the worst album of the year. When wow, it fuck you, Rolling Stone. So, it's just been like, it's been like, it's been a fucking journey. Wow, what the fuck? 
You know what? My theory is that somebody that worked for Rolling Stone at the time tried to go out with Joni, and she was like, no, thank you. And they were like, yeah, thank you, me too. So with that said, now that we've established that we're not Rolling Stone. Not Rolling Stone. Yeah. Who is uh, your favorite? I guess apparently uh, James Taylor left her because he, uh, also she sings on uh, You've Got a Friend. Uh, yes, did. he plays on a lot of blues. He plays yeah. on Four, four songs. Yeah. yeah, I believe All I Want, Carrie, California, and a case of you. Yeah, which and are like those are pretty four pretty incredible songs. Yeah, to pretty be incredible featured songs. On. Yeah, and then she uh, then he just broke up with her because he became way too famous and just kind of and apparently that well, left her very. Well, I saw a thing called heroin. He got uh, very involved with a little thing called heroin, and Joni was I. She I, is the heroine. I didn't know. <laughs> nice. That's with an e on the okay. Ugh. Um, I'm like, I, Lord. What I heard was that she left him at an airport on um, the way to see his family. This flight tonight is about. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, it's okay. Because, like, he was taking her home to meet his family, like, take that next step, but he was also developing a really pretty nasty heroin problem, and she was just like, she was at an airport having a connecting flight on her way to North Carolina to see his fam, and literally was like, I can't do this, and got on a flight back home. North Kakalaki. North Kakalaki, come on and raise up, but yeah. not for Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, I guess she, uh, she, I guess, faxed Graham Nash when she was a vacationing in Greece to let him know that it was over as well, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, I had heard or that send a, as well. send a message, yeah. The thing that I think is remarkable, remarkable about <laughs> Joni's ex-boyfriends is that they all speak very highly of her later in life. Yeah. They're all just like, she was an incredible woman, we had a great time, I I'm loved so her very much. I'm so happy to have known yeah, her. Yeah, I'm so happy to have known her, yeah. and now I'm going to play the song that she wrote for this tribute for her. Yeah. <laughs> like Genuinely. But also, as a lot of people pointed out, she was an innovator at the time because so many female songwriters, they weren't able to be artists in, in their own right. Yeah. I was talking to my parents about this too, and I was telling about the Rolling Stone thing of how they were basically slut-shaming her. And it's just like, and my stepmom, she was just like, well, did uh, they say do the same thing about Carol King, would that be a contemporary? And I'm like, no. And I had to really think about why Carol King wasn't slut shamed like that. And I think uh, she may not have had as many high profile romances, but also she's been writing pop songs since the 1950s. She's been in that machinery yes, for a while. Yes. So when she finally came around with an album with 1971's Tapestry, the legendary record that right. that is, it was just here I am as an artist. And it was kind of an announcement and it kind of was an overnight success, you know, that kind of happened from there. But right. she had, was too enmeshed in the industry. She wasn't a public figure in the way that Joni Mitchell was. And so I feel like she kind of may have, you know, Everybody navigated... Everybody wants to fuck the new girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Joni Mitchell was a new girl on the scene. And Carol King was not. Carol King was like, oh, she's been around for a while. She's her buddy. She writes great songs. Carole yeah. King. And then Joni Mitchell comes around, she writes great songs, and not only just, like, everybody want to fuck her, but... When she's done with you, she's done with you, and she moves on. She like, that absolutely very much moves got on. that impression from all of her romances. Like, this was really sad that it had to end. It was really, like, bittersweet for... But I loved him a lot, but, like, it was time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Boss bitch moves. It's always like, and she, and she's like that. That sucks, but I'm over it. That served its purpose. Yeah, Moving exactly. Yeah. That served its purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then also, uh, I mean, all the stuff with their daughter too. I was surprised to find out about how they finally met in 1997. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know any of this. And you brought yeah, it up during the that. recording, so let's have story time now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the purpose of Happy Hour Mini. So subscribe yeah. now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> genuinely, like, because she gave away her daughter when she was poor uh, in living in New York, uh, New York, I think, at the time, and so just didn't know her and tried to secretly connect with her for years until one of her college friends who knew the story sold the 
story to a tabloid, so then all of a sudden it became public knowledge, where people are like, oh, now Little Green makes a lot more sense, you know, and other, and other songs yes. too. And eventually, uh, while she did try to track her down, eventually gave up. In 1997, her daughter found her, and they reconnected, and they were able to have a good relationship for a while until they had a falling out, which, from what I understand, involved an incident in which they got angry and Joni slapped her. Uh, and then they had a kind of uh, were uh, estranged for about ten years or so, and then have been gradually kind of bringing things back a little bit. And then Joni had a brain aneurysm in twenty fifteen and lost some of her uh, movement of her legs, but is still recovering and apparently wants to do some sort of comeback. But we'll see if that happens. She was on her Twitter talking about uh, the fiftieth anniversary of Blue and how she feels oh. like it's so great that so many people quote get it now uh, because it, the thing is that like as iconic as an album as it is, it is. It wasn't like a huge seller. He yeah, loved and that it. is actually one of the I think the most incredible parts of Joni Mitchell and her legacy is that truly her legacy is so much longer than her commercial success, mm-hmm. and she almost is having just as much commercial success now mm. as she was having in the early nineteen seventies. Yeah, uh, because it truly, I mean, especially if you look at. Spotify numbers. The songs that have hundreds of streams on Spotify were not hits for Joni Mitchell. <laughs> hundreds of yeah. a case, millions yeah. of thousands. A case of you even, this is actually a really fascinating point that I noticed. So in 1996, Tell it, this when, is- she, when she put out her greatest hits album mm-hmm. that was just called Hits, mm-hmm. and then she put out a companion piece that was just called Misses, of, like, her favorite deep cuts. So it was all of the, like, most famous, most popular songs, okay. and then the deep cuts. A Case of You was on Mrs. What? In 1996, mm. that sil- song was still obscure enough to be considered a deep cut. Well, and what did Practical Magic come out? Because this is what happened. <laughs> this is the phenomenon here. Oh, I'm here to tell I you. I had no idea. This is how I got to fall in love with Joni yes. Mitchell. So I grew up listening to the jazzy Joni, the later Joni, Hajira, and the, the Hissing of Summer Lawns, like big time. That was my dad's favorite. Practical Magic comes out. It is, I think, still on HBO right now for streaming uh, pleasure. Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman classic. 98. 98. Okay, so the soundtrack for this movie slaps. It has two different Stevie Nicks songs on it, and it has Joni Mitchell's A Case of You. And that is how I found and fell in love with Blue in 1998. Wow. When I was 15 years old, because I was born in 83, I heard that song on the Practical Magic soundtrack, and I was like, what the fuck is this? I didn't understand that heartbreak at the time. Mm-hmm. But something deep within me did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I must seek this out and listen to more of it. And that is how I fell in love with folk song, Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like I discovered her all on my own, even though I grew up listening to her. Because right. I grew up listening to a very different version. Yeah. yeah. And when that movie came out, and I heard that song for the first time, I was like, oh, this is what heartbreak sounds like. I mean, it, are you wrong? That's no. crazy. Yeah. That's... that's <laughs> I, a very probable help to its rise because yes. I also remember that during the late 2000s when I, when Pitchfork was at its peak, I remember at least two different like big indie names at the time covering A Case of You. Oh, and yeah. it also is now being included on like lists of the greatest songs ever written and things mm-hmm. like that. And to hear my dad say it, that was not the case. 
30, 40 years ago. Yeah. It has... God damn it. <laughs> it's, it's profile as a song has completely changed. Yeah. And similarly, I'll always remember the first time I heard Big Yellow Taxi oh. was fucking Counting Crows and yes. Michelle Branch had a hit with it in like, what, 2001? Something like that? Younger people yeah. think that that's who wrote that song. Like, earlier this week I was researching for this podcast and I work with some younger millennials. Yeah. Younger than millennial millennials. Mm-hmm. And they were like, uh, oh, is this that Counting Crows song when Big Yellow Taxi came on? And I was like, bitch, get it straight. This is that Joni Mitchell song. That Counting Crows covered, and lots of other people have covered. I think Sheryl Crow covered it, probably in yeah. like the the late nineties. Great, it's sampled by Janet Jackson and uh, <laughs> the great song uh, "To God Tell You It's Gone" featuring Q-Tip. Yes, mm-hmm. and, uh, but I'll, and of course I'll I'll always remember my dad like either digging out or he might have even had to go buy this album on CD to be like, this is the version you should know. Even though, like, he was yeah. also a Counting Crows fan. Although, also, I guess she had a genuine hit off her live album, Miles of Isles, with the live version of uh, Big Yellow Taxi. Oh. I don't know if it did better than the original uh, than the original Joni version, but I know it was enough to make Miles of Isles a live album go gold, which right. uh, was, you know, pretty solid, I will say there. The question is, uh, do you... Do you Limited ourselves, I think, wisely uh, okay. to this era of uh, 1968 to 1979. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to any Joni after that era? A little bit, but I'm, I'm not invested enough to stay. You it's, know what I mean? Like, I dip my toe in and I'm like, okay, yeah. you're still there. You're doing all right. Mm-hmm. She did some, like, Check later... later, Aunt Joni. <laughs> some orchestral <laughs> album renditions of her songs. Like, yeah. I remember someone writing up, like, the aged voice singing both sides now with an orchestra. Oh, that was actually very well, breathtaking. I have heard that. Yeah. That's the most popular version right. of that now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, even more than the Judy Collins version, yeah. I think the, the most... Well, Popular it sounds version like is the she lives in it now. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yes. she's singing about something that she understands at this point. She truly can see both sides she now. Has. But also, I had to, because I reviewed this box set of hers, a four-disc set that Joni had, and it was basically, like, memories and photographs. It was this idea of, like, kind of her curating her own greatest hits across mm-hmm. four discs. So I'm like, okay, cool. So there's, you know, a couple obvious hits, some deeper cuts on there, which are interesting. And then, of all the things she decided to pick, she picked Dancing Clown. And I don't know if you know anything about Joni Mitchell's 80s albums, but she, you know, the octagon drums, the synthesizers, all that stuff. I know what those things are. She did those things. (laughs) Joni Mitchell did those things. And she had a song called Dancing Clown. Oh, dear. Is it a duet with Billy Idol? Is it? You bet your ass it is. is. I know you always feel it. I know you want to be. And the thing is, too, is that by that point, her her voice sounded closer to, like, I would say, like a Christine McVie. Okay, all right. You know, so it didn't sound totally out of place. Dance. But it didn't sound great either. And that's Dance. that is the, a, an unfortunate truth of the transition from the seventies into the eighties is that very 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 few artists were able to make that transition yes. successfully, in my humble opinion. And having and like but, there's some interesting. But the ex- ones that did did it so well, right? Like you think about the police and YouTube, YouTube and yeah. Like, oh, YouTube, God, yeah. that transition for YouTube was. <laughs> but like I mean, this but also nothing. they adapted to it, where I feel like other people succumb to it. And yes. hearing some of the Joni albums from the eighties, she definitely succumbed she to. She was like, what are you kids doing? Hand me that synthesizer. Let me see what I can do. Well, I mean, she was using synthesizers before any of them. Yes, but not in that Which is way. maybe why she thought she could do it. Yeah. But anyway, she also does a duet with Peter Gabriel on that album, and it's not good. And oh. like, there's a couple other... 
It's the album is not good. I okay. listened to it. I I tried. I I won't I won't lie. I skipped after about ninety seconds of most of the songs. I did yep. not actually like do. do the whole yeah. thing. But, it was, but I will say yeah. her ninety one uh, album. album, which I'm blanking on the name of. I think it's like Night Ride Home or something like oh, that. Oh, well, oh, I might be able um, to envision the cover of this actually album in my headspace right really now. Really good. You pull it up and let's see if it matches the picture. Yes, it is Night Ride Home. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. <gasps> yes, that is a good Live in studio. <laughs> no, that that one really surprised me. I only listened to it like one and a quarter times because I had other things to focus on this week. But I did. I really enjoyed what I was hearing. The single "Coming from the Cold" got some spin on uh, alternative radio at the time, and it, I I feel like I've maybe heard it before even. But it's a it's a solid track. It's a nice vibe. There's All definitely right. some things. I think that the the 90s vibe maybe fit her a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. Yeah. It's also interesting, too, how I feel like we're in an almost revisionist era, too, because I have a feeling that because music criticism was largely white male dominated for the longest time, a couple of years ago, Ann Powers of NPR, she did a list of the best albums by women. Uh, and it's just kind of a fuck you to every other like list that was out there, but just like women creators, women bands, women everything. What are the best albums by women? Number one was Blue by Joni Mitchell. And recently, on the most recent Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest albums of all time, they've rejiggered a couple things around. Most notably, a Beatles album is not in number one spot that now goes to What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Oh, okay. And for all of the weird shit that they did to Joni in the 70s, uh-huh. uh, they put Blue at number three. They must have new so, editors. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure they also like pulled industry people and yeah. like didn't go by that, but took it into account. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that may have had a a hand in that rising the ranks as well, yeah. because it's also very much even as much as it wasn't a a commercial success as much. I feel like it's very much a musician's album. Yes, other musicians heard this and were like, right. Joni, what the fuck? I, uh, like a other couple fun facts, I remember finding out that uh, Bjork's favorite Joni Mitchell album is Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. Which makes sense. Oh, guys, I wonder when she's going to have her blackface moment. Like, I wonder <laughs> when the rest of the world, maybe after this podcast, everybody's going to be like, what? Like, I it's, know. it's like, it's like the thing is that, like, it's been talked about, but I just, it's never been you over. like, have you seen the cover? Like, it was scandalous and i'm i'm envisioning you know i'm envisioning the cover and i'm like doesn't seem that scandalous to me there's a black dude there's Joni mitchell there's a little white kid the black dude is Joni. it's still insane exactly and i did that's all part of the reason i really debated doing that as the opening joke of the of the podcast too, but I'm, I'm like, listen. Remember the joke because I didn't get it because I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, genuinely, I think part of it too was just the fact, like, listen, we're going to talk about it anyways, and yeah. I don't think we should shy away from it too. As much as we love Joni, and I do love Joni, that's an unfortunate part of her career, that's and up. yeah, it can't it can't really be ignored. But I think if you asked her about it now, I would like to think that she would maybe view that in. Uh, but she would not mistake. try to like skirt it, or she would actually address it and be like, yo. I fucked up. Yeah, that <laughs> was, was a bad. A that was a time. bad idea. It was exactly. a bad judgment call. I thought I was being funny. I was hanging out with a lot of guys at the time who also thought I was being funny and encouraged that in me. And it wasn't. Yes, but and, and the it thing. Wasn't. And so I feel like, it, and I feel like that's again a part of her legacy we have to reckon with. But again, now that Blue is suddenly become turning into this thing, uh, it has more momentum and more power than it ever has before, which is kind of striking and honestly kind of amazing. I sent you guys. I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen oh, today. Yes. They did a little EP release of uh, demos and unreleased 
songs from the sessions too, which included River with French Horns, which included mm. uh, two songs she recorded for it that weren't included, including The Urge for uh, Wanting or for Leaving, or for leaving for which leaving. was one of the first songs that she ever wrote for someone else. Yes. But she was going to record it for Blue, and it just never uh, never made it on there too. So there's still a lot of things happening with her, and I and I hope that we have another moment with Court and Spark, and I hope that when the 50th anniversary comes around for motherfucking kissing a summer lawns Yay. people realize that too that was such a fun discovery this week though i will say it's a good album and i'm so happy that we fought for that yeah. together that, like we really fight taryn because taryn's not taryn not, like, is a nerd. i fight on this podcast i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> you do fight, but but like... I, I will also say i'm just going to be fully honest there we've done other discographies that have <laughs> more sure. songs that have more albums you know metallica was fucking a lot but this one was harder because i feel like every album just had such a weight to it in terms of artistry mm-hmm. and intent. I, I definitely... A casual listen didn't fully encapture it right. in the way that I could you do with the Metallica. Sit down and right. really well, with it. I don't yeah. think Metallica is a good example <laughs> either. I, I think both of those artists, the, the songs are dense mm-hmm. in their own way. And like, in their own way also, and this is sort of a thing I've noticed recently, this is sort of off topic, but in studying for this podcast the simpler the structures of the songs are, the easier it is to, like, get a snap judgment feel for the album and to get a snap judgment feel for how you feel about the artist as a whole. Whereas when you have these complexities, it really takes time to (laughs) digest and to even form form those initial opinions. You know, I, I, to be frank, I didn't even really know how I felt about Hissing of Summer Laws until like yesterday and I think that might be part of why I put it lower is just because it it just there is this complexity to it that just made it hard to access and hard to like store in my brain. I was I was so genuinely surprised and so delighted honestly to see you defend Hygiera as hard as you did too. I was so happy it made it up that high because I thought that was gonna get cut early on so I was I, so thrilled I was so and that's what I mean I, I, I'll I, say the exact same thing about Hajira <laughs> I, I remember vividly the first time we were just driving and you, you were putting Joni on random yeah. you know when we were right getting started and the title track Hajira came on and I was like I can't connect with this at all uh, you know it was I think it was something about the way that on that cold. song specifically yeah. yes. It's, it's the soundscape, and she has fully fallen out of any sort of, like, composed rhythmic yeah. vocal melody. It's very... She is almost, off the it's, it's sung, but it's, it's a spoken word sort of rhythm. It's very, <laughs> like, conversational. And so I was like, this is... I, this I, is so long, and I don't know if I can connect with it. And then by, like, my fourth time hearing the song, I was like... This is gorgeous. This is stunning. This is one of the, my favorite things I've ever heard. Like I could put that. Tell on them you got those German too. measles. Tell them you got them germs. No. What? Uh, uh, it's a line from Blue Motel Room. I forgot yes, about. Oh god. I <laughs> am shocked that Ladies of the Canyon only made it to number seven, mm-hmm. given how many big songs it has on it. Mm-hmm. But what I really like about all these songs that you picked out for us, Evan. Is that this particular like chunk of her career is such a slow and subtle and gradual progression that if you listen to these albums in order, you almost don't notice her making that shift from folk to rock to jazz. Mm-hmm. But if you sit down and you listen to Song to a Seagull followed by Mingus, you're like, who the fuck is this lady? Fully, hundred percent, yeah. And that was, 
I didn't know she had that side to mm-hmm. her. I had been completely not exposed to that at all. And so getting digging into that for the first time was very surprising. And again, I think I think almost just knowing that that's what I was getting into would have helped prepare me more for, yes, for, for just meant. digesting it. I love that side of her now that I've got, ha- been able to spend time with it. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts, feelings, stories? I just love this lady. She's such a, a badass fucking lady and at a time when it was not easy to be a badass fucking lady. Holy. Actually, that's another thing that I would love to just briefly touch on is mm-hmm. how incredible it was that she was through just her actions but also through her lyrics just walking the feminist walk yes and not not needing to i don't know that she ever explicitly said like i'm a feminist but it's just so utterly clear through her worldview and her storytelling that she is like I am not going to put any single portion of my happiness behind Mm -hmm. it to sacrifice for a man yeah and and there's so many songs that are just about her just living her freedom yes. and just doing yeah. the things that she wants to do and touring Europe by herself and and going on an epic road trip by herself exactly yeah. and just and doing it all and and fronting a jazz band and yes. just like you know and it it's just I really think that that's another maybe reason why she connects so strongly with people now is because she just was so genuinely a strong, independent woman. Yeah, she was one of the original, like, fucking boss bitches. Like, back when it wasn't a cool thing to be a boss bitch. And the thing about Jenny is that, like, a lot of the boss bitch ladies you look back on now and you're like, oh, yeah, she was a boss bitch. That was cool. But people knew that about Joni then. Like, people respected that about her then. They were like, oh, you're a boss bitch. Okay, get it. Yeah, got Mm -hmm. it. Check. But also, I feel like that's why when critically the male establishment probably slut-shamed her for that, too, or just how dare this woman writing her own song, being this independent person in the industry, is able to do all these things and leave these people. It's like one person, how are you going to talk shit about one person in the industry, but not all the guys that she's left with who are also in the industry. (laughs) Like, why I'm talking David Crosby, an asshole? Tell me more. Tell me Uh, more. Yeah, I know. It's just... it's very fast. She yeah. writes lyrics about people's receding hairlines. Any <laughs> favorite? Any favorite Joni Mitchell covers? Covers? I mean, you know, not that I can think of. Like our, our Counting our, Crows and Vanessa Carlton for me, just you know, out the gate. Well, really? Think about it. Hang on, <laughs> I think about it. I, I think probably for me, it's going to be the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young Wood, Woodstock because mm-hmm. I that song is so the way that they arrange it is so beautiful and epic and so like it sounds like Woodstock it sounds like you're at Woodstock and it's also just so utterly different that I fully respect them as separate pieces of work correct yeah it doesn't feel like the Counting Crows Big Yellow Taxi cover that just feels like a straight up like we sang her song wasn't it good yeah Taryn was amazed I was able to quote a Joni Mitchell meme to him earlier in the week and it was just it was just like it was just like this like emotion thing mixed with words and it was just early it was so stupid it was just like turn me on I'm a radio oh <laughs> Which like <laughs> I can't, it was like years ago when I saw it, but it always stayed with me. And I was, was like, just... I can't believe you just had a Joni Mitchell meme at the ready. Oh, God. <laughs> I also love that about 
about Joni Mitchell, especially in the case of like Turn Me On on a Radio, her ability to, to say fuck you with a smile on her face. So, yeah. Her it's ability beautiful. to be like, I wrote you this saccharine sweet song and I'm going to look you in the eyes and I'm going to smile at you. But the subtext is that fuck you, you're an asshat, mm-hmm. I hate you. And, and I can't believe I'm doing on. this shit. Yeah. Right. Uh, they also, I remember on the one of the Joni Mitchell tribute albums, uh, I haven't heard it yet, but I know Bjork does the boho dance. Uh, which is seems Very incredible, and I yeah. think it was uh, Katie Lang doing uh, "River," if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'm on board. Yeah, I, was it "River" or, or case was of it? You. I, don't I hope it yeah. was "River" because "Constant Craving" has those same long Const- p- potential future chartographers artists. We'll no, not that's, for me. Not for me. Okay. I only like that one song. <laughs> well, that's, that's Katie. Katie Lang is one of an artist specifically that I think of that like when I hear Joni Mitchell I go oh this is what like I'm sure this is what Katie Lang grew up loving yeah like, I just yeah. hear so so much not not pulling directly from but like yeah. references mm-hmm. to in in the song structure and the the way the vocals lilt yeah totally how is Taylor Swift's folklore not a Joni Mitchell album uh you know there's I feel like I think that's a stretch. It is a stretch, but it's also interesting to look at their love lives paralleled and how people talk about it. And, you know, you're not wrong about that. Yeah. Joni's love life. As singer-songwriters, they're both very talented women in their own right. And it's interesting to see how both of their, like, dating lives are held under a microscope. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen with their male counterparts. Oh, but, uh... Not that I love Taylor Swift. Like, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, but I can see where she's not necessarily done... Listen, Joni Mitchell oh, could write Shake It Off, sure. but could Taylor Swift write California? All I'm no, saying. No, probably not. You know. Maybe. Shake it off. No. Shake it off. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> well, well listen, listen. Just because Joni, <laughs> just because Joni Mitchell hasn't worked with Jank Antonoff, doesn't mean that we can also. What? And Heartbreaker is gonna oh break, 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 break. I hope that doesn't. Happen. I know. Wouldn't that be the goddamn worst? Yeah. I've been also. I mean, she her last album came out in two thousand seven. I don't know if she has another one in her, and I think her legacy is just fine. I think it is. Yeah. You know, it is. She's incredible. We love her. That's why we do this podcast. Joni, I want you, if you're listening to this, to please write a new saccharine sweet song about "fuck you, Evan." I got more songs than me. <laughs> let, me let me also say, Evan would also like it if Joni Mitchell you wrote a song called "fuck you, Evan." I have more songs than me. I think that'd be great. And you know what, when Joni, when you're done with that song, you could either put it out as a single, and like then the song after it is, and Graham Nash, "fuck you too." <laughs> Track three, hey Taryn. Uh, <laughs> track four, what's up, Allie? Uh, but listen, all I can say is those songs, you can either keep them to yourself, put them out in the world, or send them to thechartographers at gmail.com if you want to get through That's to nice. us directly. Or, uh, of course, you can always uh, leave them as a comment on our Facebook page or tweet us at the Chartographers. I know you're on Twitter, Joni. And uh, just let us know. But in the meantime, Joni, uh, we absolutely love you. I fucking love this journey. And honestly, I couldn't think of anyone else I would rather go on with this journey with than Allie. Uh, I've never wanted to be James Taylor more in my life, Joni. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad. Thank you so much, Allie. Oh, I love you guys. Yeah. We love you too. Let's do it again soon. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was craving some cranberries earlier. Yes. So, you know, I was thinking about something like that. Oh yeah, there's so many other songs and there. Anyway, listen, long as you're getting off the rails. Well, thank you so much for listening. Keep on listening because you know that we'll be. Have a good one, everybody. Goodbye. The wolf that lives in Lindsay.
Okay, we do this. Okay, we're ready.